Hi everyone, welcome to STEPS audio channel. We are very excited to share our content from STEPS events to learn all about the latest trends in startups, digital media, fintech, future tech, and wellness in emerging markets. You can find us on Enagami, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite channel and we hope you enjoy the content. So to kick things off, I guess when you are in the kind of conscious space, um, it's a very, it's a very um, inspired space, and I think everyone that's in this in this sector is is, is so passionate about what we do. Um, I'm hoping perhaps we might have you know a couple of startups in the audience today. Um, and I know I've spoken to Ollie quite a, quite a lot about this about his story, but I think it'd be quite nice for us all to tell, tell us tell the audience a little bit about you know your stories about why Plain Tiger was set up, why Wild Fabric was set up. So, Ollie, why don't you kick things off for us? Sure, thanks, Kara. Hi, everyone. I'm Ollie. Um, so I grew up dreaming of being a banker. Super weird. Um, and did spend 10 years in banking, but towards the end of that time, just felt like there was a bigger something out there for me. And left banking and, and launched a digital bank for people in the labor camps and construct, construction sites and things of, of Dubai. And that really sparked uh, something in me that made me want to have a positive impact with whatever I do professionally, given that's kind of most of our time, isn't it? Um, and that took me to India to launch digital banks in the slums of Mumbai and Pakistan and Uganda and South Africa. And when I was in South Africa launching a, uh, a digital bank for the townships there, uh, I went to bed with my wife, Alex, as normal, and woke up surrounded by paramedics. I'd had a massive seizure in the middle of the night and she called them to take me to hospital. And they gave me a bunch of scans that I thought that I didn't need. Um, but it turns out I really did need them. I had a brain tumor the size of an apple. I'd had no signs, symptoms of this whatsoever. But suddenly over the next few days, it was, I was being told that I would need brain surgery, 12 months of chemotherapy, six months of radiotherapy, two years of treatment, 50-50 chance of survival, best case scenario. And we just arrived in South Africa, we're in a brand new country, continent, we had no support network. And so alongside this medical plan that the doctors had laid out, you know, my wife Alex and I, we had to come together and do everything we could for me to survive. And, and that really informs a, a complete lifestyle change. One that meant we went fully plant-based in terms of our diet, embrace plant-based medicine and this all-natural lifestyle it worked 12 months later rather than two years later i walked out of the oncology department with a clean bill of health <laughs> thank you and i'd actually worked every single day of that period other than seven days after my brain surgery and got promoted twice in the process so it's safe to say that we were believers in the power of the planet by this stage. And during that year of kind of embracing a more natural lifestyle, we learned a huge amount about sustainability, about how people are destroying the planet and how are there these ethical brands around the world creating amazing products uh, that are just as good quality, but they're contributing to the environment and society rather than detracting from it. And so when we walked out of that oncology department, my wife Alex and I said, we're going to build a platform 
that connects those brands with retailers, hotels, and consumers around the world to help them grow globally, because those are the kinds of brands and products that we need in this world. So that is the story of Plain Tiger. Thanks, Ollie. Um, if you don't know, Plain Tiger is an e-commerce uh, site for the luxury consumer, everything from homeware to fashion and accessories. Um, so it's, it's a great platform if you haven't checked it out already. Uh, Gogana is going to tell us a little bit more about Wild Fabric, which is quite similar in that it's a bit more accessible to consumers. Um, so, Gogana, do you want to tell us a little bit more about your journey? Yes, of course. Um, a little hard to follow. My story <laughs> is slightly um, less dramatic, <laughs> but I'm glad you've recovered. Thank you. Um, so, Wild Fabric for me has, I think, been in the making for a long time. My background is startups. I helped start different businesses for different people uh, along my journey. I've been here 15 years or so. Um, setting up retail, setting up F&B, after a while I started to feel that a purpose was needed. So for me it was, I already had the experience of starting something and creating brands and I knew that was my passion and I knew that was something I wanted to do. But I wasn't really willing to do that without giving back and, and doing it with a strong purpose behind anymore. I mean, um, we've all seen documentaries. I grew up in a village, so for me, it touches home. I've, I've, I've lived a life very simple. And then coming, obviously, out of that into the US, London, here, I crave going back to that simplicity. And I see the importance of that. And when we, and we travel a lot here, uh, obviously we have that, we're blessed to be able to travel all over the world and see people struggle. They, they are making beautiful products. We go and we buy them for maybe $5, beautiful shirt. And you know, always in my mind was like, oh my God, if I saw this here, it would be like 500, you know? So immediately I, I saw that there was a gap there. And similarly to you, we wanted to help the people that were actually making these beautiful products, these quality products, reach a market of people that have the means to appreciate them and to pay for them more so that these people have a better living back home. And that's how Wild Fabric started. I, um, I'm that alone, I have co-founders, and together we had this vision of, of helping people. And that we opened a year ago, so we're very, very new, completely self-funded going about it slowly but surely and uh, we're quite proud of where we reached at this moment we partner a lot with NGOs so we don't just um, we don't just talk about doing good we actually do good last year we worked with Emirates Nature WWF we raised funds for for them for conservation this year we're working with another big company again raising awareness collecting uh, clothing from schools working with kids um, for us it is a lot of it in giving back. Um, again, because we're all human. And sometimes when you think of business, you think business. And for some reason, the human part is not something that we think of. And uh, personally, I would like to change that. That's okay. Completely agree. I think when it comes to, when you speak to anyone in this space, um, the word purpose comes up. And you touched on that, Gagana, which is great. Because I think that you don't have to start a new business to find purpose. I think you can find business in any business, in, in any, any way you work, whether it's your own business, whether you work for a huge multinational, there's, there's, you know, there's always a purpose that you can discover, whether it's something that you're passionate about personally and bringing that into the business, or whether that's something that aligns with your business values. Um, 
So I'll ask you both the first question. Um, how do you think businesses can effectively balance their commercial goals um, with a focus on social and environmental uh, consciousness? Gagana, start with sure. you. Um, so personally, I believe, again, it depends on the business that you're in. But for me, the narrative needs to start to change. I mean, when we have business, usually the metrics are very much on the financial side of things. Um, and I think sustainability needs to be part of a metric that we actually as a society start recognizing. It's, it's, it's starting to come about. But I think businesses need to think of it as a must, not as a nice to. Because at the moment, being more conscious, looking at your supply chain, is sort of like, mm, okay, people want us to do it, so maybe we'll do it. But I think it, it really we need to start making it like frowned upon if you're not doing it. Frowned upon if you're not looking at these elements and thinking about the planet, which we all, again, live in. So Agreed. And it touches on what we were speaking about before this, making it more accessible yeah. for yeah. consumers as well. Exactly. Because it doesn't have to be as daunting as a lot of consumers think it is. It's, it's quite accessible and easy for businesses to implement these things. It is. And... and you, if you're going to think only business, then you're going to add the same margins that you've been adding, like in traditional commerce. Uh, if, you're gonna, if you really want to change things, you also have to change what you do. So maybe your margins are not going to be as high, but you're still you're thinking about the bigger picture in your, in your business plan, basically. Agreed. Ali? Um, yeah, so I also agree that the narrative needs to change. But I think that the key part of the narrative that needs to change is any sort of... Um, talk about consciousness, sustainability being a trade-off for good business. Yeah. Um, it's actually a massive commercial opportunity. So the UN uh, estimate adherence to the UN SDGs as a $17 trillion commercial opportunity. This is the biggest commercial opportunity that probably any in, anyone in this room has ever been in present for. So rather than thinking, how is my business going to be affected if I do this? It's going to cost me more money. It's going to be really difficult to change suppliers, all of those things. The people that run forward and lead, up, lead into that are the ones that are going to capture the most of that commercial opportunity. You know, the front runners will be the people who get the most brand benefit because those innovators will be seen by people as the the people who really drove us to that more positive state. So they get the brand benefit, they get the largest share of that $17 trillion opportunity. So the narrative needs to change about this being a trade-off. You might have higher costs in year one, but you've got $17 trillion to go after for the rest of the years after that. So we should all be doing everything we can to transition our businesses to take advantage of that commercial opportunity as well as seeing it as a brand and moral imperative. Agreed. Um, but let's switch that around. We've touched on consumers. Um, how do you think consumers uh, can play a role in promoting, you know, making more conscious decisions when it comes to commerce? I'll go mm. back to you. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. And, you know, I kind of, in some ways, as a consumer and, you know, having spoken to a lot of consumers about this, it's easy to feel overwhelmed, unsure, thinking that really, like, what difference does my actions make? There are coming up to 8 billion people on the planet. It, I don't make a difference. But then if you think, 
Like, if everybody thought that way, where would we be? So we all make a difference. And, you know, it, so then it becomes, who can you trust? What information can you trust? And, and that isn't easy. But there are people specifically playing in that space where, you know, you just need to keep trying to improve each day and reject people who criticize you for not being perfect. Those eco-warriors, in my view, do more harm than good. Just keep trying to do better today than you did yesterday. So identify the areas in your life where you're a little bit luxurious. For me, I leave my shower on for too long because it, you know, I enjoy a shower. Uh, the one thing I really need to get out of the habit of is my Cafu fuel delivery, which is terrible. I can't believe I do it, but I do. I made those two commitments at a workshop last week, so I'm cutting them out. Um, so just keep trying to get better every day. That's my advice. And the two biggest needle movers anyone can make are one, if you're in the privileged position to have savings, proactively manage them away from companies that are having a negative impact on the environment. And kind of controversially, but not when it comes to science, stop eating as much red meat. Those are the two biggest needle movers that you can make to help with climate change. Thanks, Ollie. Um, it's something that I talk about quite a lot, making um, make conscious decisions more accessible for your everyday consumer. I think a lot of people um, think, you know, in order to, to make a change, I need to change my whole lifestyle. But you don't. These little changes that you can make every day make a, a, a bigger difference long term. And I think fundamentally, as a, as, a, as a human race, we all want to do better. We want to live a healthier lifestyle. We want to leave the world a better place. So small changes that we can incorporate into our life every day ultimately will make a larger difference. Ghana? Yeah, I mean, 98 million tons of clothing ends up in a waste and somewhere completely discarded and, 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 and it's getting worse. Every year is worse. So apart from some of the things that you've mentioned, um, and, and funny enough, it will kind of go against what our businesses do, but I heavily preach not buying so much clothing, not buying so much stuff. Um, you know, I think the average consumer wears something maybe six times before they throw it out. Uh, a lot of times we give it, we put it in the charity uh, collection things and we feel good. We say, oh, we're giving it to charity. That's fantastic. We're doing something good. But the truth is 98% of that ends up in a landfill. And that's the truth. So um, fast fashion accounts for maybe 26% of, uh, sorry, of, uh, <laughs> of our shopping. So taking that into consideration, I think just, shopping less, shopping more quality stuff, things that will last you longer, consider having a capsule collection, so wearing something in different ways. Um, it's funny, you know, like when you look at British royalty and then when someone re-wears something, it's in the news all the time, right? Oh, she wore that again. Um, this, but this should be normal in our, in our society. Uh, simple example, I wear these pants all the time. They're from one of our brands. Um, I love them and I will keep wearing them until I, I can't anymore, you know. Um, why do I need a, a whole new pair every year? I don't. So um, with Wild Fabric, we, we don't just say we're accessible. We look at brands that last a long time. You have quality products, handmade products with a story. Um, and I would advocate for you if you're going to buy, you buy something like that, whether it's from us or from Plain Tiger, from anywhere really. 
Um, but just think about how much you purchase. I think we need to kind of think why we're buying at the end of the day. Are we buying to, to look fresh? Do we need it for some reason? I think also looking at that, I think really matters. Mm -hmm. So Agreed. Okay. Um, so bar wild fabric and plain tiger, what are some examples of successful conscious companies? Um, and what do you think that they've done differently? Okay, um, I think I'll take that one. My favorite brand, I think, uh, currently is Patagonia. I don't know if you know them because uh, they do outerwear and specifically for um, adventure type uh, trips. Uh, but they're amazing. The, 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 the fabrics that they use are eco-friendly and recycled. The people that make them are treated ethically and paid fairly. Apart from that, they have a system where you can return your jacket um, and get credit for another one if you want to change. They also have a repair system. So like if you ripped your jacket, you can bring it to them, they'll fix it for free and give it back to you. Anything that's returned to them, they fix and sell again at a lower, at a lower price, at second hand. And, and not to mention the owner just gave three billion to, cl to fight climate change. Um, I cannot think of a better example. I think that company is just uh, a dream. Yeah, such a great example. And um, if anyone's ever been to any of my talks before, one that I always mention as well without fail. So thank yeah. you. Oli? Yeah, I think that that's one of the leading examples globally. It's a great one. You know, I think it's, it's helpful to really think about this in two sectors. You've got startups who are specifically setting out to solve problems in this space. And then you've got uh, existing businesses and it's really around how quickly and how effectively can they transition. And they both have massive impacts in their own right. So you see startups that are helping big e-commerce players become more circular, uh, like Reflaunt and Reloop and people like that. I think that the concept that they have there is amazing. You have a lot of brands who are going out and using fishing nets um, that they salvage and they're making clothing out of that, for example, in the fashion space. And then in the established businesses, I, I have to to give a lot of credit to hotels, actually. You know, they're widely criti criticized for their environmental footprint. But maybe because of that, but, but either way, they're making huge strides in terms of their environmental footprint. You know, at Plain Tiger, we deal with a lot of the biggest hotel chains globally and locally. And they're making massive strides to eliminate plastic, to reduce water consumption. So I think um, it's really incredible to see that that sector performing so well as they transition. Agreed. I think, you know, we, um, with my business, we have a lot of different um, brands that we work with that have, you know, ventured into this space and, um, you know, big uh, hotel chains like Hilton, for example, um, that many wouldn't realize have such a strong sustainability um, standpoint. Um, so yeah, completely mm. agree with you there. Um, from both your points of view, obviously with Wild Fabric and Plain Tiger, what do you think are the challenges that businesses face in this space and how have you managed to overcome them with, with Wild Fabric and Plain Tiger? Um, I think a lot of people think of sustainable options as more expensive, yeah. right? And they, they often can be. And so um, when it comes to talking with consumers, talking to people, it comes down to value. You know, it's hard to talk a consumer through fully why a garment would cost five dirhams and convince them to buy the one that's 50. The reality is the five dirhams thing. A cost is being paid, and generally that cost is the people not being paid a fair wage in the supply chain. 
and the devastating impact it's having in the communities where it's being made. So for example, in China, they know what color is going to be in season next year by what color the rivers are flowing now. So that cheap cost is costing someone, it's just not you. And that's a hard conversation to have with a consumer, particularly online, right? So, <laughs> so really in terms of bridging that gap, it's around demonstrating the quality. It's about reinforcing why something that is handmade by someone whose generations before them were making exactly the same way from those same fabrics and why I think a particular strong point with consumers is around the social impact rather than the environmental impact. So if you say, um, as many of our brands on Plain Tiger, you know, the whole, whole village in which those items are made is essentially kept in employment by that company. That's a much better um, kind of message or one that lands easier than, than the environmental impact of products. Agreed. That's definitely something that um, I get asked a lot. Um, so thank you. Uh, Kagana? Um, sorry, can you repeat the question? The challenges that businesses face in this space oh. and how we've managed to overcome that so far with Wild Fabric. For me, I think one of the other challenges that are often not considered is uh, the logistics part of things. Um, as we grow and we have to ship things all over the place, I think I think about the carbon that takes. And, and it's interesting because when you think of sustainability, you have to think of the whole spectrum, you know, not just the fabric, how it's made ethically, who makes it. Then you have to think of how it got to you and how it's shipped and what's it packaged in. And you, you think of all these things. I, for me, it's almost like an equation. I, I try to like create a picture of it. And um, especially here in Dubai, because you're still going to have to import a lot of things. You know, that we're not growing fabric, you know, we're not growing cotton here. So you, you know that the fabric is imported one way or another. So this is, this is challenging. I know that you know, there are certain shippers that are trying to use biofuel these days. And so looking at that element in the equation, I think, really helps. But it's still not as transparent as I would like it to be. Transparency is, is, is still, you know, you know where it's coming from. You might know who made it, but how it got here. And a lot of that is also, it's not very clear. Even some brands don't communicate that as well when you're trying to find brands that put on your platform. Yeah. Great. Um, one thing I think obviously that's apparent and something that everyone in, in Dubai itself has been talking about is obviously COP and the role that governments play um, in making more conscious decisions. Um, so Oli, what, what role do governments um, and uh, play in, uh, and regulations play in um, promoting a more conscious uh, marketplace? Sure. Well, I think it's right that we pick, you know, touched on consumers, businesses, and now governments, because we're all in this together, whether you're in the government, a startup, uh, an established business, or, um, or a consumer, as we all are. You know, this is a team effort, really, to avoid the potential very serious consequences. And in terms of the government's impact, it can be absolutely game-changing. So just recently, we've seen a report from... Uh, what they called the uh, Recession uh, Improvement Act or something like that in the US. And it was basically a whole bunch of uh, tax breaks and grants and things like that for businesses that were more sustainable. Even just announcing that has led to huge numbers, thousands and thousands of jobs created, investments being made, 
Um, so it's very clear to see that by incentivizing businesses to move towards a more sustainable way of doing things, there's that opportunity. And equally, there needs to be taxing and punishments and penalties for people that don't move in this direction. Mm -hmm. You know, for some people, like I think we just can't rely on people's morals to <laughs> to address this. We need to, some people, they're running businesses, we need to hit them in terms of where it hurts the numbers. Mm -hmm. So taxing people where their impact on the environment then becomes a financial cost to them. Um, and so I think with some incentives and some taxation and, yeah. and penalties, I think that's a good role for the governments to play. And we're seeing lots of new legislation as well, laws being put in place, which are important mm. too. Yeah, and, and um, to add to that, um, I think education. Mm. And, and I'm really happy to see that recently. Uh, I have nephews and, and they're doing like a trash fashion show and these things. I can see it in the schools. Uh, we focus a lot with kids and we try to get them to really understand the impact that they have on the environment with, with their choices. And um, so governments could push that further. Yeah. Um, even actually uh, on, on, on your point, European Union is passing some really interesting laws now mm. on transparency and greenwashing specifically, like having to show your full um, supply chain to really actually call yourself sustainable. So governments are a game changer overall. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. And to, to add with some local examples, I mean, I don't know who's heard of Dubai Can. Yeah. But uh, the results of their first, I think, year or six months of that initiative replacing uh, plastic water bottles, they've eliminated, I think it was 7 million single-use plastic bottles in that period. And this is around governments driving cultural change. You know, it's about making it the norm to go to a water fountain rather than buying a single-use plastic item. So I think it's brilliant to see that here. And then the other is around clear targets. You know, zero waste by 2050, carbon neutral by 2030. So um, it's actually brilliant to see the government here playing such an active and ambitious role in the transition we need to make. Agreed. I think uh, some of those of us that are from the UK, we know obviously in London, central London, you have to pay a tax basically to be able to go into central London because they want to reduce the amount of cars in central. Mm. But also here, I've, I've recently learned that if you have a Tesla, you don't pay parking uh, parking fees. There are priority uh, parking spots. So for those of you that always get parking tickets like me, <laughs> um, that works out quite well. Um, so it's great to see that governments are incentivizing consumers as well. Um, so... Moving on to, again, kind of uh, the kind of more consumer and con like cultural society side of things. Uh, what impact does um, conscious commerce or what impact can conscious commerce have on uh, local economies uh, and local communities and the global economy? I know both of you probably work with local startups mm. and, and small startups and local entrepreneurs and empower them to have their own businesses, uh, which is which is incredible for, you know, uh, entrepreneurs in, in other countries as well. So, yeah. Ghana. I mean, uh, if you take that figure, which I gave earlier, let's say 25, 26% of, of commerce is fast fashion. So you think of all the people they employ and how much they actually pay them. And now you take some of that market share away to, uh, to smaller companies that will employ maybe the same people, but they're getting paid more fairly and getting actually making the proper wage. Now think of these people having the ability to also to contribute to the economy 
So instead of having all the money at the top, now you're taking that money and you're dispersing it. That will help all economies grow because now you're, you're giving the people that really need that money also to be able to be a part of the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that would be a massive change. It's a complete change in systems because you have these huge companies that are trying to make as much money and then they say they're going to give it to charity. Why, they, why not you already give it to the people that need it rather than make them need it so you can maybe give it back, right? So I think it will make a massive shift. Ali? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying. And, and I guess to add to that, you know, we've really been in a race to the bottom in terms of the way business is being done and the complexity and um, way that supply chains have worked. You know, people... Um, ignoring the impact of of the supply chains and really just getting it to as cheap as possible as low quality as possible and um, driving the price down as low as possible Mm -hmm. so we've been in a race to the bottom and this latest report around the change in legislation in the u.s they're now describing this as a race to the top a return to quality a return to very simple short supply chains that are much more efficient and provide more equity into those people actually producing the products so by embracing the people who are are offering those products we're we're empowering those communities to um, continue to do what they've been doing for generations uh, rather than rewarding middlemen and people who underpay their staff and um, sell you the cheapest thing possible with the worst quality possible that will last you two wares or two washes of your dishes in the sink or whatever it is. Um, yeah, so really a flight to quality, a race to the top is what we're experiencing and we should embrace. Thank you. Um, I just realized we are running out of time. If, I, I think if um, when you are in this space and people are so passionate, we could probably talk about this all day. Um, but um, what I will do is ask you both for one final piece of advice, um, whether that is for any entrepreneurs that are in the audience or for consumers as well. Um, and um, we'll have to end it after that. You ready? Um, you can go first. Go um, I'm very passionate about the point I made earlier regarding just don't get frozen in headlights of trying to be perfect and anybody criticizing you, just make one commitment today and do that and then make another commitment tomorrow and do that. And if we all do that, we can have a much more uh, symbiotic, a much better life for us, for our kids, our grandkids, for all of the animals and biodiversity on the planet, um, you can make a difference. We will make a difference. Thanks, Ollie. Good yeah, nice. I agree 100%. Um, I would say for the startups, um, as a startup, it's super intimidating to be in the startup space. You have everyone talking about VCs and raising funds and having governance and I don't know what, and, and it gets quite intimidating, I have to say. Uh, within all that space, try to remember what you're trying to do and why. And uh, if it's only money, fair, but then think about the human beings around you. And if you have kids, think about your kids, your families, and what you would want for them and put that in the equation, I think. So um, we're all trying to survive and 
to have a good life. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, just be more conscious of the things around you because um, we have this one life and every time and every interaction and every person that you deal with matters within that. So um, that's it. Just be more aware. Amazing. Thank you both. Um, I think there's a lot that hopefully a lot of you will take away from today and a lot that we can do to, to change the way that we are consciously buying and, and, and um, living our lives. Um, thank you everyone for attending today. And um, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find our content on Anrami, Spotify and Apple podcast. Follow us on social media at Step Conference and let's stay in touch.